All right. We've got a special treat for you this evening. Um, we're going to be looking at the gift of discernment, um, and we're going to be going through, a, I don't know if you call it an interesting passage. It's a crazy passage. It's a freaky passage. It's one of those passages in the New Testament that leaves you with more questions than answers. Um, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 5 and, um, in, in um, the Nesby. I think it, the title, if I can remember correctly, says The Fate of Ananias and Sapphira. Um, so it's a bit of a juicy topic, um, but I feel like there's some real gold in here um, that we can draw from in terms of what the gift of the sermon is and what it looks like in action. Um, so I might start by reading from um, 1 Corinthians, which is our staple passage, and then we'll flick over to um, Acts chapter 5. Is that cool? All right. So, 1 Corinthians 12. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits. In other translations it would say the um, discernment or the discerning of spirits to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as He wills. So over the last number of weeks, we've looked at, what have we looked at? Any takers? What, what gifts have we looked at so far? Prophecy? Healing? Anything else? Effecting of miracles, thank you. We looked at speaking in tongues. Words of wisdom, there we go, you guys are onto it. So I would hope, having done this for almost a whole year. <laughs> um, so tonight we're going to be looking at um, what, we, what the NASB calls the distinguishing of spirits and what other translations calls discernment or the discerning of spirits. Um, so yeah, take your Bibles and turn to, turn to Acts, uh, Acts chapter 5. And like most of the gifts, um, or people functioning in these gifts throughout the New Testament, sometimes it's hard to see where one gift ends and the other begins. Um, you know, when, when people are ministering in these spirits, they don't stop and give you a bit of a commentary, hey, I'm just going to discern the spirit. And, or, you know, it's, it's, it's free-flowing. It's people functioning and running in their lanes. It's, it's people moving in their gifts as the Holy Spirit leads. And so we see this here in Acts chapter 5, that we don't have um, Peter necessarily stopping before he um, does what he's about to do to say, hey guys, here's me functioning in my gift of discernment. <laughs> um, it's much more fluid than that, but we see a man with such a sharp measure of discernment, the ability to distinguish between two different operating systems, and he's able to, to cast a righteous judgment on the situation um, that I, I think has a lot of um, implications for us today. So what I might do is I'll start at um, Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and we'll work our way from there. All right, it says this, the sharing among believers. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. 
And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they were distributed to each other as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and bought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up and covered um, uh, the young men got up and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in, found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all those who heard these things. And at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared associate with them. However, people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on coats and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least a shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Mm. Interesting little passage, eh? Fascinating passage. Poor Mike, first time around. I, <laughs> I, I, I audibly groaned when I saw it. I was like, that story? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. Um, definitely got set up. But no, I think like there's, a, there's so much here in this passage that we can learn in terms of the gift of discernment what it is, what its functioning role is, and the value that it brings to the body of Christ. Here we have an incredible situation where there's a, there's a move of God where literally thousands of people are being saved, and they're not just being saved, but they're entering into a quality of life where they see that their own possessions don't belong to them anymore. 
They're selling their land. They're laying it at the apostles' feet. There's such a genuine and authentic move of God at work. And then we come across these two people, Ananias and Sapphira, who see what's going on and to some extent want to, want to be part of it. But like, like we've heard, they make, sale of, they make a sale of their property. And instead of being honest about giving some of that money to the apostles, they almost assume that they can get away with um, giving a little bit to God and holding a portion back for themselves so the waters are muddied. And so this is the context that we're going to be looking at, the gift of the sermon tonight. Um, and so I hope that you guys are ready. Hope that you're engaged. Store your questions up. We're going to have questions throughout the course of the evening. So if you do have anything burning, jot it down um, and we'll, we'll come back to it tonight. So is that cool? We all good? Very quiet. Is everyone alive? Cool. Everyone's deep in thought already. All right, we've got a number of questions that we're going to work through tonight, and we're going to use the scripture as a bit of a framework for being able to answer some of those things. So question number one that I'm going to pose to, to our panel is this. What is the gift of the sermon, um, and what is its purpose? Is there anything from this passage that we can see or in, in Peter's, um, um, Peter's operating here that we can learn about the gift of the sermon? All right. Um, I, when I was looking up this, I, I looked up a few different translations um, around the gift of discernment. And so the CEV talks about uh, being able to recognize the difference between God's spirit and other spirits. And the passion says to discern, discern what the spirit is speaking. Um, and then the Amplified goes a wee bit further and calls it the discernment of spirits, the ability to distinguish sound, godly doctrine from the deceptive doctrine of man-made religions. Um, and so for me, I understood this as discernment is, is a gift of revelation to his body. It's a way of his protection over the body. And I see it in this story where Ananias and Sapphira are trying to derail this um, culture of generosity and living is in one accord. And God steps in and, and sort of provides revelation to Peter and says, you know, that's not how this is going to be built. And so I see it as almost like a protection of rev by, by giving revelation um, uh, the Passion Translation, again, actually inserts the phrase, God revealed their secret to Peter in this story, and it gives it a note which is, is, says, with supernatural discernment, God revealed to Peter what had happened. The words pretended to give it all, which is when Ananias and Sapphira pretended to give it all, are not in the original text, but are supplied because of the inference of the words, lie to the Holy Spirit. Um, so the true sin is more about... Uh, not so much Peter telling a lie, but lying to the Holy Spirit. And that's what I feel like God is trying to root out in that, in that moment. Yeah, um, I, I agree with that protection of, of the body and the church. Because um, when thinking about it, um, the, how I see the gift of discernment is almost like a detective. It detects the, um, the origin of of motive or of circumstances and um, that's what the spirit does and it, it's because and I think it comes from the fact that God is holy and it's the Holy Spirit it's not just the spirit it's the Holy Spirit and so it, it has to do the work of detecting the inner being and uh, knowing the origin of where where it's coming from um, as the source and uh, to be able to, to see in. But yeah, I kind of see it, discernment as the detective, really, to detect, yeah. 
And it's interesting because, you know, it's like to the naked eye, it can be quite difficult mm. to, to see any difference between Ananias and Sapphira and the guys in the passage before who had a, a, a you know, a bit of land and they sold it and laid the, you know, the money at the apostles' feet. It's interesting that, that Ananias and Sapphira, you wouldn't necessarily think that selling your property and giving the majority of your money to the apostles to build the kingdom would be a bad thing, right? Is that not a like good, like good thing to do, right? You know, um, to invest. We're always talking about, you know, we talked about this morning about about giving, about, you know, about bringing something. Um, and is that not what Ananias and Sapphira are doing? And yet Peter's able to to see beyond what the naked eye can see, and to see, like Mel was saying, a, a motive and an intention that was in their heart that was distinctly different from what it, from what had motivated the people in the passage before. Hey, mm. so discernment in, in my mind is the ability to see in the un, in the unseen and to determine where two situations look similar or almost exactly the same and to see perhaps what underpins it in that invisible realm. Hey. It reminds me of a, um, when Nathan rebukes um, David. Um, that's immediately what I turned to when um, I read that story and thought, of, thought about how discernment is that protection of the body and God running, wanting to root that out for the sake of his people. So this is after David has sinned with Bathsheba and um, she's conceived a son and he has sent, David has sent her husband to battle knowing that full well that he would be killed on the front line and he hasn't repented and he hasn't spoke of it. It's all in secret. And this is from 2 Samuel 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men, this is Nathan speaking, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and one poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, and the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb that he brought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who came to, had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. And he goes on to explain that. And, and so again, I think there's this, uh, Nathan had sent, was sent by God um, for that same purpose of calling out judgment and saying, You have done something wrong in the eyes of the Lord. And again, it's for the sake of his people. Um, yeah, and, and I think it's really clear that Peter was re revealed what Ananias and Sapphira had done, and the same is true of Nathan. He's been given a word of God, from God, not just accusing, not just judging, not just pointing fingers, but God sent. And then that was the call, not just let's point fingers at each other, let's start accusing people, but actually when you've received something and God has commissioned that judgment, that's when it's acceptable. And and you mentioned Mike about um, you know protection for the sake of of the body of Christ and, and what God's doing. And I wonder, um, Greg, what what in, in your mind was what was Peter protecting um, in in this passage here? Ultimately, the oneness of the body. Um, it's interesting. It, um, One Corinthians fourteen. It's quite funny. It says this fourteen twelve. 
So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. And you can look at this passage and go, passage and go, wow. For the edification of the church, people were killed that the church would become the church because the church was being attacked from the inside. Fascinating, these guys are part of the church. They're not outsiders. They are part of the church. They're part of the community. But they're not acting as they're supposed to be. And ultimately what I believe is, is being threatened is spiritual oneness, which it says at the beginning of Acts, right at the start, it says, and the congregation of those who believe were of one heart and soul. And that's what God wants to build. It's the inner realm reality. And they came with a different inner realm, and that inner realm then acted in a different way to everybody else. And discernment's so crucial that you can see that I haven't got vodka in here, that I've got water. You need to be able to see what's in the unseen because there is an enemy that's trying to pull down the building of the church. And so that's what's happening here because the enemy can see what's kicking off in the unseen. So often we try to copy these guys and it lasts about three months before we rip each other apart. We try to live one another, we try and give one and all those things. We're trying to do external works which never work because the inner realm isn't changed. And so these guys have a completely different inner realm that expresses itself in an outcome of demonstration. The enemy sees that. So he sends two of their own to try and rip it apart. And I love the fact that that gift is for the edification of the church. Well, it wasn't for them that day, was it? But it was for the church that was emerging. And I think, like, like the greatest like persecution of the church has always been from the inside, eh? Every, every time, you know, you see in scripture or in history, when people on the outside try and persecute the church, it grows, you know? And yet, often the, the greatest danger is from the inside, you know? Um, where, you know, it talks about gossip being spread like gangrene or just subtle doctrines that come in that distort the authenticity of what it is that God's doing, you know? And, I, and, and in my mind, you know, that like the severity of the judgment in this passage only highlights the significance of the spiritual oneness and the power of what, what God was doing at that time, you know. I always, you know, so often I hear, man, we've just got to get back to how the church was in Acts, you know. And it's like, cool, it's cool that you want that, but do you want this? You know, <laughs> you know? like, do you, do you want this level of accountability, where if you are putting on a face and looking like you are wholehearted for God and giving all your money away and giving your time away and someone to come up to you and discern in the spirit and say, hey, actually, I think you might be operating out of yourself and that there's accountability for that. Often people very quickly go from being all about going back to the church at the first and what it was like at Acts to all of a sudden they want the external form of it but don't want to go through the process. And so to me, in my mind, this is really what discipleship is. You know, in my discipleship with Greg, he hasn't cast judgment to the point of death on me yet. <laughs> but there's, there's certainly been moments where there's been wrong mindsets or perspectives that have had to be realigned and, and, and shifted for the sake of greater oneness, you know. 
And and so that it's like the same it's the same heartbeat in, in this environment as it is right here. The stakes are high, but I'd say that as a community, as we grow and mature, there's gonna be higher and greater levels of accountability for for our investment and our behavior in the body, eh? Because there's more at stake. So. And I sort of said it, but I want to reiterate the point. Everything that we do and everything we look at is obviously going towards the greater goal. So when you have the greater goal of what God is building, all this makes sense. You know, so never lose sight of the macro purpose. Because as soon as you lose sight of that, this almost becomes a bit irrelevant. Wow, that was a bit harsh because it's seen as an incident outside of something. But when you connect it to what God is looking for throughout every generation, this makes perfect sense because his church is being threatened. And we are in a war, you know, so we have to be able to discern uh, when we hear our Father and when we hear the Father of lies. In the world, from the pulpit, uh, in discipleship, you have to be able to discern when someone's giving an opinion and when the word of God is being spoken. You can't build your life on opinions unless it's his opinion. Okay, And um, a lot of the time, obviously, hopefully in the body of Christ, it's not intentional. So we're sharing what we think we know, but you have to discern the word of God, know the word of God, and it's a spiritual word. So then you can share so the church is built and it's edified. There's no edification if it's my opinion. It might tickle your ears, it might warm your feelings, but it's not going to build you. And so the ability to distinguish whether it is of the Father or not is crucial. And although some have a gift, we're all to be discerning. Okay, So we are all called to judge, not self-righteously, but righteously. Not the person, what the person is saying. Okay, so I don't judge Paul, but I will judge what Paul is saying. I won't judge Sam, but I'll judge what Sam is saying. Can you hear the difference? Because we tend to think they're all one, and you go, that's judgment. You're judging me. You're judging me. You're judging me. I'm self, I'm not self righteously judging, I'm discerning what you're saying. So we can grow together so the body can be edified into the big picture of God. And I think there's such a, a you know, a, a tightrope tight in that. You know, on, on one side you have, um, you know, like, like Greg was saying, so often you hear if, if there's anything, any word of correction or word of discipline, it can so easily become you're just judging me, you know. Where, whereas on the other side, you know, it can be, um, you know, so easy to be to be to be critical and to be judgmental from an an unhealthy place, but in in the middle is what what Greg was saying is is righteous judgment. You know, it's not criticalness that pulls someone down, it, um, but it's the ability to see and discern what genuinely is of of the Holy Spirit for the sake of the growth of the whole hey you know so i think that reminds me of um the opposite of love isn't hate but apathy you know the opposite of love is not um sort of intense passion against someone it's actually not caring it's it's a lack of care and a lack of action 
And so, again, this is still a picture of God's love, that he would so love his church that he would edify and build it up, not just, oh, well, you know, oh, that's going to destroy the church. Oh, you know, like, so, the, so we've got to get out of this mindset that tolerance is love. That's what the world says. That's where we need to discern something there, which is to say, love, you know, just love, love me by not judging me, but that's such wrong thinking. Love is active. Love is involved. <laughs> And um, the opposite of love is not hate, it's apathy. I feel like in other environments we're totally cool with that, but then sometimes moving in, into the body, there's a little bit of like a, I don't know, antsiness about it, you know? <laughs> like, I just think of like, like the, in the All Blacks environment, like discipline and correction and, you know, is, is very real. You know, I went to school with two, two All Blacks, Julian and Adi Savia, and out of the two... Um, Julian was in my class, and he was by far the most athletic of the two. He wa- a- 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 I don't know if anyone knows the McKevity Shield, um, but it's a, kind of the top like sporting. Uh, Mitch would know all about it. Um, but he won the high jump, the long jump, the 100 metres to 200 metres, the shot put, the javelin, the discus. He set the record for the most points made in one year. He literally won almost every event except for the long distance running. He was an absolute freak of nature. His brother Adi, um, not not so talented, not so athletic, still still physically you know physically strong and, and athletic, but nothing on the form of Julian. But he was down to earth, had a good attitude, was good with people, was disciplined. Now now Julian played for the All Blacks for a number of years. Most of you will, will probably know his name, but there was something about what he brought into that. Um, team environment in our volley and even in our volleyball team, there was something that he brought a culture that came with him that actually didn't contribute to to the to the team as a whole. And so, even though he was the most athletically talented person in the team, he actually didn't add the greatest value because he made everyone around him worse. You know, whereas Artie was far less physically capable. But now you see him as one of the standout performers in the All Blacks, not because of his physical ability, but because of an attitude that he carried in, and he made every, he makes everyone else around him better. You know, and so. In my mind, this is what's happening here. And you can see that Julian now has been dropped from the All Blacks and he's been dropped from the Hurricanes, I think. He's playing overseas, you know. No less talented, but there was something that couldn't be tolerated in that team environment because it, to- it tore down what it was that was, was being built in that All Blacks culture, you know. And so and here we see we see an attitude and an operating system that couldn't be allowed in the context of what God was was building, you know? And because, like we've talked about, and I love what you're, you're saying, Mike, because the environment, um, you know, like this is, this is no casual thing that God is doing, you know? Um, and that there needed to be that, that intensity that maintains... Um, single-mindedness and one heart and one mind that we saw in, in the chapters before and anything that was against that or was going to take the body of Christ as a whole away, away from that wasn't welcome in that environment, eh? you know? So um, it is, it's not, it's not an apathetic thing. It's an intentional, um, um, yeah, op- way of, of, of being and operating and living. Yeah, totally. So... 
It's a distinguishing work, isn't it? Mm. Like Greg said this morning, you know, if we if, if we are to be a distinguished people, which is a, a set apart people, we have to be different from the world, and that is a that is a contrast effect. And and I guess that's what we're seeing. Hey, is is how that the early church, and it was such a it was in its young stages, and uh, it had to have its purity maintained because it was the representation of God, of himself, you know? And so um, a God who is, there's no one like him, his people have to be the same. And so it, it requires uh, that very work. Mm. And I think it's a, an, another example, even though you could see it as a slight, it's not negative, but you could see it as negative, how we are all interlinked. So a decision that I make will influence you. And decisions that you make will influence me. And so their decisions were influencing the rest of the body. And the seriousness of that that is lost on casualness and what Mike's saying and apathy and not understanding what it really means to be his people. You know, we, we have to grasp our identity in Christ we have to know what it really means to be the church and not a place you come, but a people, a type of people who are of the kind of Christ. And I think if there's one thing we can grasp from tonight, it's the seriousness of actually what it means to be a disciple. It's really, really serious. There's nothing casual. It's not a consumeristic thing. The challenge is that there are expressions of that in the earth. You can find consumers, Christian consumers, who will feed you and serve you and you don't really do anything. You know, And that's the problem and that leads us to apathy. It leads us to, oh, I'm just a spectator watching Adi Savia and the boys play instead of being actually in and knowing what's going on and not being oblivious to it all and it's going past you because there's a role for everyone here in this room in the body and so if you don't play your part i'm affected if i don't play my part you're affected if i mess up you're going to be messed up this is how serious this is and it can either be heavy or weighty it's not to be heavy but it is to be weighty. And I love the last part of Acts there where it says there were these people. I love this. They saw these guys. Okay, There were people that saw these guys, but none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. It's like that is attractive. That is scary. That is really attractive. That's freaking me out. And it's that. And that's how we're to be. We're to be that people that people go. Do we have any questions at this stage before we move on to our next question? Uh, to our next question. What's the difference between in this? between um, discernment and word of knowledge. Because I would have thought, I can see it being discernment, but I, guess I would have thought it could be word of knowledge. Mm. 
I can say it's almost the same thing. Why he go? He discerns as a different spirit operating. The word of knowledge is like what Mike said: is this is how it's operating. So I discern as a different spirit. The word I get is he's lying. Yep, tracking. So I discern that Ananias come up looking all nice, and there's an opposite spirit coming at me than the spirit in me. But it looks lovely. They're smiling. They've got their money. And then I get a word of knowledge that says he's lying. Yeah. And see, it's hidden. See, and, and, and this is, you know, this on a Sunday doesn't mean anything. This could be like, I wonder if Liverpool won this morning. Really, where do I go home and watch that game? What am I really doing here? God, that person singing sucks. <laughs> the guy preaching, he speaks too long. <laughs> Praise the Lord. What's the time? That? I reckon we've probably all been there, yeah? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> and so God's seeing, and he calls us to see, not for the purpose of pulling down, but for lifting up. For building up. And so, you know, this is how he wants us to move. So when the thing that looks the obvious might not be the obvious. Because to place yourself under something that's actually not of the Father, it's not that great. You know? So you have to discern, and it comes through hearing. Yeah, no, that's not my Father. I know you take words out of this and I know you quote the passages out of this and this isn't the issue but your version of this is the issue and I recognize no that's not my father so let me help my brother or sister by going to them and saying hey can we dialogue about some things because this is the revelation I got of that particular thing and I'm not sure and I'm here for love, so I submit this to you. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I'm going to submit it to you and ask you to seek the Spirit. So we can be one. Not because I'm trying to make you feel bad, because I want to be one with you. Something that struck me was the fact that this, this, this is even required, the gift of discernment, because it's often not obvious, right? It's not just the gift of common sense. Because it, it's not the gift of just look at it and see and just judge for yourself. Because these things that can deceive us don't look like deception. That's the point. So there has to be a gift of discernment and revelation that God would reveal things to us. Because it's not always just common sense or just study it a bit harder. So um, yeah, that, that kind of struck me. It reminded me of the story of um, in the fall where. Eve was deceived because it looked good if the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil looked good to her own eyes. And so to her own eyes, through her own common sense, through her own thinking, the fruit looked good to eat despite God's revealed knowledge that this is not for you to eat from. But to her eyes, it looked good and pleasing. And so there's a kind of difference there where this discernment is not happening. And it says of Jesus that there was no physical form that would attract us to him, eh? you know, um, and, and I think requires 
um, a, a kind of hearing and seeing that goes beyond physical sight, you know. So. Cool. Any other questions before we move on? Um, Ananias and Sapphira uh, basically sinned twice. First, they um, didn't give the disciples all money. And the second was that they said that they had. Uh, is that how you see it? That there were basically two things happening? In, so in my mind, he, he says to him here, he says, um, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So my, my personal opinion is that they were under no obligation to to necessarily give that, that land, you know? Um, so I don't... I, I personally think that it wasn't a it wasn't a sin, um, like, or how do I say, like, the, in, in in my mind, the issue was the the deceit that lay behind it, you know, and that they had presented it as something that it wasn't. Um, so they weren't under obligation to give all of their land, and the sin wasn't that they didn't give all of their land. The issue was that they painted themselves up as being someone that that they weren't um, and in doing so li lied to the Holy Spirit that's my personal opinion uh, yeah yeah I agree it's, it's on the outset it it's it, we can um, see clearly what what they've done but Peter is very clear in that it's it's that's not really the the problem the problem that you've you know kept a portion for yourself but it's it's the fact that you've you've not lied to men not haven't lied to him but to the, to the spirit the to god himself um yeah so there's a whole lot more insight into into what's being seen yeah does, does that answer roy yeah cool all right We'll go to our second question from the panel. Oh, Siri will ask it if, it, if I can't get there. All right, question number two. We might have covered some of this already, but what is the difference between judgment and discernment? Um, and what was it that motivated Peter to act so boldly in his um, discernment of that situation? So what is the difference between judgment and, and discernment? Mel. Oh, thanks, Sam. <laughs> it, was a, it was a really good question because, um, and if I'm really honest, I'm probably not clear on uh, judgment in its, in its fullness and wholeness of what it looks like. Because I know we are called to judge, but when we judge, to judge righteously. It also Unrighteous judgment, sorry. Oh, sorry, no, what, what do you mean? Unri sorry, unrighteous judgment and discernment, sorry. Oh, keep oh, is going. that the question? Oh, sorry. Unrighteous. I, didn't, I didn't phrase the question properly. Oh, sorry, keep sorry. going. Keep going. Say the question again. I didn't hear it. I, I, the question I asked, the difference, <laughs> sorry, I've totally marked this up. No, the difference know. between judgment and discernment, the intention was what's the difference between unrighteous judgment and discernment? My bad, sorry. Okay, my bad. But you can, you can but answer, but answer based on just judgment because it will come out anyway, I think. You know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, 
Right. So, so it talks about Jesus that when when he judged, he didn't judge by what he saw or by what he heard, but f- righteous. So from from knowing the Father and the Father's heart, which gave him insight into man's heart and into to see in the spiritual realm the unseen that is how he he judged so he perceived the heart and judged accordingly unrighteous judgment is when we are looking around us in the physical and then almost allowing that to inform us on on what's going on now the problem with that as well is with judgment is then that we um we decide to uh uh think the destination of the person like almost like because you've done this you're guilty and that that's scary because what's interesting to me in this passage actually is that peter didn't necessarily judge Ananias and Sapphira, but he discerned what was going on, and merely by speaking it out, judgment came upon them, and they died. And 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 that's a big difference because God judges man at the end. God does that, and He's a righteous judge. Um, and so, yeah, the the difference, I guess, with discernment is is perceiving and and addressing it at times, um, and and uh, judgment is. To you know, to judge righteously is to judge well, um, and for the whole well-being of a person and the body. Um, but unrighteous judgment is sometimes just for your own ego, right? Just you sort of just judge because it o- almost makes a person less than who you are. You know, self-righteous judgment is condemning. So it's elevating yourself above the other and condemning their behaviour, which makes it kills. So self-righteous judgment always kills. It never lifts up. Righteous judgment is always lifting up. And so, you know, um, that was the thing he had against the Pharisees. They were full of self-righteousness. They elevated themselves to a position and judged. You know, he said, do as they say, don't do as they do. And so they would kill people with their judgment. You know, and they would make people into the twice as the son of the devil as they were. And so they would not allow people into the kingdom of God because of their judgment. You're not this, you're not that. And yet they thought they were all that. So when he turned up, he said, you brood of vipers. It's pretty stern. So you judge another, which is, that's the whole thing about forgiveness. If you don't forgive, how can he forgive you? You are judging self-righteously a human, and you are not God. Okay, So there is judgment, discernment. It's the word that messes us up, isn't it? We go, not to judge. No, I hear it all the time. You can't judge. You know, read the scriptures. God is going to judge the church. We are to judge the church, not the outsider. Yeah. Corinthians. Yeah. Okay, So we've got to get comfortable with the terminology because we are to judge discern in love where we're all at for the purpose of what growth maturity change edification to the church what we're not to do is to self-righteously judge everyone and say you're not good enough you're not there you're not this you're not this and then push people down and elevate ourselves so god gives grace to the humble and he hardens those who are proud. And so we need to make sure that we are in the right judgment. Mm. 
love what you said about the condemnation because I was thinking about it today. Since knowing Christ, I've, I've never, ever felt the condemnation from Christ. Yet, I have most certainly had <laughs> disciplinary moments and yeah. where, I've, where he has judged, perceived in the heart and, and spoken very clearly, thoroughly piercing. <laughs> um, and, but but it, it's because I know it's because of love and anything that gets in the way of his love will be judged. And so it, it's never a condemning, it's always a knowing, a knowledge of that's what love does because it, it cares so fully. Yeah. Yeah, like what you said, Mel, about um, when we're discerning, that's not us playing the judge. We're simply that channel where God is remaining the judge. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the story of with Ananias and Sapphira and also in the story of um, David, you know, Nathan was sent by God and Peter was, it was revealed to Peter, but God is being the judge of those actions and he is the one who's sort of playing that role and that discernment is simply being an instrument of God, not being the judge themselves. Nailed it, easy. Can I just say, we have a massive responsibility, okay? So we, we all have a massive responsibility to figure out who we really are because we are subjects of the king's kingdom. We are ambassadors of another realm. We are to know our authority and operate in it. We're not little servants running around who are begging. We are men and women of authority, identity, in love and humility, but are powerful from the inside. So just like an American ambassador representing America living here, they know the culture, the law of America, and they know what they can access and can't access, and they are representing America well. So we are called to represent heaven well, which means we need to know who we are. Okay, so it's so easy just to go, oh, now you've got to lean into that. Because, you know, the Bible says we're going to judge and rule the world. So what's that all about? It says that you're going to judge the angels. The saints will judge the world and the angels. Where's that? 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 3. It says that we're called to be overcomers. What do you think he's going to give you when you sit next to him, sorry, with him on his throne? What do you think you're going to be doing? What do a couple do over their natural family? Govern. So we're called to govern now, but from a posture of love, humility, but power. And there's a couple, a married couple are what? Two or one? All right. So you're his co-heir, which means you need to know the father's business because you're supposed to be representing him. Very hard to represent the business if you don't know what the business is all about, the father's will. See, so I just sense just to share that, that there's, it's oneness with the father, son, and the spirit. So let's figure out who we are so we can govern well um, and lead. And I think, like, how could how could we be entrusted to that position of governance and of 
rule, you know, of of ruling and of judgment, unless we share the same heartbeat and perspective and way of thinking and way of seeing. Otherwise, we would just be back to what we were talking about before, which is unrighteous judgment, thinking as we think and judging as our eyes see. You know, and so that's what this is is all about: is coming to know Him in a real and genuine way. And sharing the same heart, so that when we when we come across a particular situation like like Peter did, it's almost as if God is there as the one who is is operating and functioning and seeing and ministering um, because we've become of, of one heart and one mind. Eh? You know, um, so there's a, a training ground now f- that is being outplayed for a future promise, and I think it's um, you know it's. Um, it, it's it's too late to wait until we get there and hope that all of a sudden we'll receive. It, you see what I'm saying? There's, there's something to be um, to be worked out and to come into now um, that is preparation for for what is to come. So. This is an extreme case. It's way more subtle than this. So the ability to distinguish. A word that builds between a world that a word that puffs up is essential. So, you know, I think what we're looking at is awesome, but it is of the extreme. Um, Two Corinthians eleven, Paul warns and says this: If one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. You need to know whether you're hearing the true gospel and not my version, Sam's version, anyone else's version. You need to know the spirit that is coming out of me is him and not another spirit. Because if it is, you you don't want to be the one that bears this beautifully because you're off track because the whole context of what Paul's saying is that I've betrothed you Mm. unto one husband and he says but I'm afraid you've been deceived in your minds and been led astray from the simplicity and the purity of the devotion to the Christ your husband and so you're off chasing other things and you've been led astray because you hear another Jesus it's not another Buddha Allah, it's another version which sounds right, but can you hear it? It looks right, but is it? Is it so subtle because it quotes John fourteen twelve, but it's not actually a word? And what is the context of what Paul is saying? The bride of Christ. So he's saying, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I've betrothed you to one husband, so that Christ I might present you as a pure virgin, one that's never been with the world. But I'm afraid that the servant's deceived, the serpent has deceived you. Foxes have come in and are preaching a gospel that sounds right. It's another Jesus, but it's not the gospel. But it sounds right. So how are you going to know? Knowing him. Knowing him is how you know what you're hearing, which is what Colossians 2 says. It says everything is hidden in the Christ 
So as you seek what's in the Christ and discern what's in the Christ, when others speak, you have a knowledge of the Christ and you go, that's not the frequency of heaven. Can I help you? Or someone else is, you're, you're being that person and they're trying to help you. And so don't think it's as extreme as this Ananias and Sapphira case. This is like a one-off. It's way more subtle than that. Way more subtle. And since the discernment on our lives must be sharp. And you know because you'll be changing. Uh, to underline that point, um, 1 John 4 um, it, one to six it, in the NIV, it's called "Test the Spirits." Dear friends, do not believe that every spirit. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than he is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. And so again, you know, what, who we say Jesus is is the underlying fundamental point of who we acknowledge Jesus to be, the Son of God, um, fully God, fully fully man, died on a cross for us, um, or a good teacher, you know, or just a really great moral man. You know, it's really interesting. Jesus is um, mentioned in, you know, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, uh, Gnosticism, Islam. He, he's a prophet, he's a teacher in all of those things, but he's not seen as the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, fully God, fully man, God incarnate, who has died on the cross for our sins. And, and when we don't have that theology of who Jesus is, when we don't have that correct, that's what you know, I believe is in 1 John 4, that's how we can discern false from, from true. And, and you know, the fundamental question Jesus asked his disciples was, who do you say I am? Um, in Matthew 16, um, the same Peter from the Ananias story um, he, he said to Jesus, you are the Christ. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my, by my Father in heaven. So once again, once again God is revealing to Peter, um, to Simon Peter, um, he's revealing to him who Jesus is. And so there's a, there's a, there's a moment of discernment, of, of um, discerning between you know, what is from God and what is not. Um, and then again, Jesus goes on to say um, how the gates of hell will not prevail against his church and how he will build his church. And so again, this gift of discernment is being acted within context of the body. So, yeah, he's, he's also not just blessing Simon as an individual, but saying how that revelation will build and grow his church. Um, and so the discernment is, yeah, is for the good of the body. Just as you were talking about Peter, it was interesting to me that it was Peter who, yeah, who discerned yeah. with Ananias and um, Sapphira and how um, they fell at his feet. 
and um, how, you know, there was Peter that denied Christ three times or, you know, Luke, Luke, the same writer who wrote Acts, was the one who wrote about um, James and John calling down fire. You know, <laughs> it's like, well, why, why did these guys sort of get away with it? But Jesus said to them, you, you do not know the manner in which you are doing these things, you know. And it was obviously before the Holy Spirit was now the inward dwelling, the presence of God within the church. And again, it emphasizes how important God you know, is is establishing himself in his people as as the Holy Spirit. Um, and yet Peter, um, he was saying um, in P- 1 Peter 2, 8, the new Peter, uh, he is the stone, talking about Jesus, causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And I thought how in- interesting that you have the rock, Peter, and these people falling at his feet. Um, they stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. I thought, wow, just just stunning. As Peter is the representative, representative of God, the vessel, yet Ananias and Sapphira didn't, they didn't know God. Because if, if they knew, then they would know that he is sovereign and that he sees all things, and they wouldn't even try test him. Um, it, yeah, it it was to their own um, ending, bad ending, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's interesting that Peter isn't separate from that process, you know, yes, that right. he has gone through, like, like righteous judgment and he's been disciplined, you know. Right. And, and all of these disciples have, have had moments where they've been corrected and in my mind that's what qualifies him to be able to bring a word of judgment because he's not separate from that process, you know. He's not standing up as this high lofty man of God who's always nailed it, always got it right and is looking down saying, guys, come on, you know, and casting down judgment from heaven and getting people to drop dead. That's what he tried to do originally, you know. <laughs> and and really the one who needed fire cast down on him was, you know, was not, not really, but you know that, like God, they, they thought that others needed to change, but God was saying, actually, no, it's you that needs to change, you know. And having gone through that process, now he can be used as an instrument to be able to bring that same, um, you know, healthy discipline to, to others and righteous judgment, you know, um, from a place of genuine humility as opposed to a place of arrogance and pride, you know. So w- no one's exempt from this process, you know. Uh, we're all going through this together, hey, you know. So. Cool, we've got one last question, um, and then that'll be us for the night. So, Question number three, and once again, I feel like we kind of like, nail some of these points before we get to them, but what does the gift of discernment look like when operating amongst the body? Does the gift of discernment always look so radical as it does in this passage? So like Greg was saying before, we've looked at a real extreme example tonight, and, um, um, but what I'd be keen to hear from the panel. What what does this look like day in day out in terms of relationships amongst amongst the body? What does the gift of the sermon look like in in action on a day to day basis? Um, I think yeah. What I came up with with this is, was was that from that one John four where it's around um, deceptive uh, doctrines and theologies where maybe not in such a kind of big. Um, 
judgment way, but more in a way of, is that from God, that, that teaching, like as Greg was saying from the pulpit, is that from God? And, and so discernment not only is, is in judgment um, in, in like an Ananias and Sapphira and with David, but also just in what are we receiving and what are we letting in? Um, and we're, um, what is God asking us to discern from that? Um, which you know goes back again to what has been preached about Jesus in that moment. Um, yeah, that's what I had. Um, in the body, I think it's it's truly discerning. Firstly, you have to allow him to show you where you're really at. And then that enables you to see where others are at because you hear it. Only because you've been there, got the badge, and learnt. And so you see you, you hear you. Like, I, I hear me, the old me, in people, especially leaders. And I hear operating systems that were in me. And so I discern that was what I used to think, say, live like, lead. And it got me nowhere. And it sounds all right. Like, all the language sounds, yes, it's route, but it's not. You know it's not. So people go, give you an idea, they go, yeah, I know Jesus builds the church. And I hear, I build the church. They don't say that. They say, I know Jesus builds the church, but what I hear is, no, you build the church. I can hear it because I heard it in me in the language you use. I can hear it coming out of you. And if I ask a few questions, the way you answer those questions, I'll hear it as well. And that's why it's a hearing thing, not a seeing thing. Hence, hear, O Israel. And so it's like, I know he's given me an ability to see and to help steer us. And so that, because I can see it for us, I can see it in others. And, and I hear things. And so like, okay, I want to share with you another way. I want to share with you what I've learned because I see the fruit or the outcome of not being in rest in your life and it was in my life. So I'm here to help share what I see. That doesn't mean people want to hear that. <laughs> and that's why I need wisdom. And firstly, I always ask the Father, is this what you're wanting me to say? Are you sending me? Because I'm not sending me because I know the outcomes of all those things. Kirby, your head gets lobbed off and it's getting a bit short as it is. So in the body, it's being able to see a group of people. It's being able to see individuals because otherwise it's blind leading the blind, isn't it? And ultimately, it's discerning where God is leading in accordance to what he's already said. So we need to... If we've, ha if we've got a road map and we can't see it, then we make up our own roadmap. So we need to see the roadmap that's already written, already spoken. So my faith must be aligned, my discernment must be aligned to what already is. So then I can come into the life myself and help other people, especially the people that we as elders are shepherding, to stay on the narrow path. Because it's so easy to go off State Highway 58 thinking you're on the right path, but... There's no life on State Highway 58. So 
it really helps when for yourself and also when you're shepherding other people because you've got to know where you're going and the discernment to be able to hear and go I know you think that's him but that's your imagination and I hear that you've learnt something in your mind that gives you knowledge but it's not true knowledge because true knowledge enables you to live and that's the evidence that helps you see where people are at because it's an ability to live out what it says but it's so subtle and I feel like in this, you know, like this has been, it's been quite a big topic that we've been talking about tonight and has the potential to, to feel heavy even though it doesn't need to, you know, and I think, I think it's so important that over the previous weeks, weeks we've been looking at things like identity, you know, um, and, I, and, and in my mind, you know, we're talking about how, you know, discerning, discerning different spirits, discerning where each other are at, um, and I think, like, um, and I, I think it's so important to hear that, like I was saying, through the lens of identity, you know, and I know, like, with, with Levi, I hear his language, and I'm fully aware of the maturity level that he's at, and he is totally oblivious to the fact that I know that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I hear it in everything that he says. I see it in all of his behavior. I see his entire life. I, there's nothing that's hidden from me. He can't even go to the toilet without me seeing and, 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 and being there, you know. Actually, one time, he, just a couple of weeks ago, he did go into the rock toilet and he quickly locked the toilet before I could come in. <laughs> Thankfully, he made it out. But anyway, you know, but that, like, and, but, like when you see in a parent-child relationship, it's actually the most healthy thing is that I'm a wise and discerning father and that I can hear his immaturity, I can see his behavior. Like, if I couldn't, we would be in serious trouble, you know? And there's so many situations, you know, like, where I've got a greater perspective that he does that's for him, you know, and his behavior reflects his lack of maturity. He thinks when he puts his Iron Man t-shirt in the wash, it's never coming out again, you know. Actually, it's, he can wear it the next day. It just, it, but lack of sight and lack of perspective has him behaving in a certain way, you know. And so I, I feel like we can read big passages like that and freak out. Like, we shouldn't freak out, but we should be sobered by the reality of, of what's going on here, you know, and it talks about, further on in Acts, it talks about the people being in awe of what it is. There's a reverent, holy fear and reverent, holy awe of what was going on there, but being freaked out moves from um, uh, a divine like sense of the bigness of God and the seriousness of what he's invited to into all of a sudden you're thinking about yourself again um, and you're anxious and insecure about where you're at as opposed to being aware of the magnitude of who he is and his big picture plan for you and his absolute commitment and devotion to bring you from where you are into the fullness of eternal and divine life that he has for you yeah. you know yeah. and so in my mind that's the purpose of the gift of discernment like Greg was saying before, which is, um, which is not to to condemn and to tear down, but it's to bring the reality of truth 
to light so that the body of Christ can genuinely build, be built up into the fullness of God, hey, you know. Um, so there's so much opportunity, and it's why the gift of discernment is so essential in the body of Christ. Otherwise, it's children leading children. It's the blind leading the blind. But we want to be led by the one who sees and knows all things, eh? and by people who see and think as he does so that we can enter into that same um, maturity as, as what's available in Christ. Hey? Cool. Do we have any last-minute burning questions before we finish up for the evening? Yep, cool. So we've talked a lot about discernment being discerning when someone is like speaking or acting in a spirit that's not of God, but can it also be used to discern that that is from God when people might not think it is because it comes in a way that we don't expect? Yes. <laughs> 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 um, absolutely. And I, I, I love... And, and I love that, you know, like, I've, um, I've been reading over the last couple of days, I just stumbled across a passage in, um, in Kings, you know, it talks, I don't even know how to pronounce that, it's like a showmanite woman or something like that, and there's this, there's this woman who sees the prophet um, Elisha going back and forward from her house every day, and she says, to, like, she goes to her husband and she's like, man, there is something about this guy that is incredible, you know, she, she, like, and, and she recognizes something that is so divine on, on this man, and she says to her husband, can we invite this guy into her house, it's, you can see a bit weird, it's almost like this woman inviting another man into her house, but she's like, what can we possibly do for this man who I perceive as a man of God, you know, and so she, they invite, they invite him in, they give him everything that he needs, um, and Elisha is so amazed at the discernment of this woman and how she could recognize the spirit of God that was on him that she's like, man, I, and, and so he wants to, to honor her. And he, he says, oh, you're, you're lacking, you don't have a child. Um, God is going to give you a child. And she's like, honestly, I'm, to I'm totally secure and cool with with where things are, are currently at, um, but she's like, all good, you know, so she, get, so she gets a child. Anyway, I, I won't go into the story, but anyway, um, uh, go, and have a, go and have a read of it, because um, the story from there actually gets even better than that, but she's able to perceive that this man was a man of God, and she responded appropriately to what she could see, not in the physical realm, but in the unseen realm, um, and yeah, it's, it's, and she's called out in, in Hebrews as a, um, as a woman of faith um, and one whose son was raised from the dead. But story for another day, go and have a read of it. But, but yes, absolutely. Um, as, as Sam said before, you know, like there's that passage, passage around um, how Jesus, there was nothing desirable or attractive that would draw us to him. Um, and this is, this is the scripture for me right now and has been for like the last six months. Um, from 1 Corinthians, um, and it's about the message of the cross. Um, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. 
Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. And so, like, what looks like foolishness to the world is actually the power of God. Laying our lives down, becoming vulnerable, humility, humiliation, you know, giving up, you know, it says, um, uh, you know, he is no fool who gives, gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. To the world, that looks like foolishness. And so to your point, absolutely things that can look foolish can be revealed as actually of God. I mean, I think that's, that's what this is about. Okay, so now I'm just going to close the night in prayer because that's what <laughs> Sam wants me to do. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Lord, I just thank you for, yeah, this beautiful night. This was like an incredible panel of people with um, a real depth of knowledge. I thank you for Mike. I thank you that, man, what a what an awesome person to have on the panel. Just what a, a depth of understanding. You know, there's obviously there's a gift on his life that has been seen and it's been, you know, brought up to the panel chairs and I just thank you that we get to receive from that, Lord. I just thank you that, yeah, there is so much life in this house and people are rising up and stepping into you know, who they are called to be. And that is when we know our identity in you, then we step out of ourselves and we step into whatever it is that you're asking for us. And so I thank you that there is boldness in this house, there is courage, that people are finding your courage. It's nothing about us being strong in ourselves. If we try that, it just only lasts for just a moment and then we fall over. So I thank you that the strength is found in you and you alone and that you know Christ is within us. As we have heard so many times, but you can never hear it enough, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so I thank you that your glory resides in us and then it comes out and it shines for the world to see. And so this week, Lord, may we shine for you. May we be lights in the darkness. May what we receive, this beautiful manna from heaven that we receive on a Sunday, may we share it in the life that we live during the week. Wherever we go, whoever we meet, whatever conversations that we get into, may this life just flow out of us and may it touch people in a way that they have not been touched before. May they see the difference and think, I want what that person's got. So may we not hold back, may we not be in fear, may we be, take that courage knowing that all of us are together, we're, we're doing this, we're out and about, you know, we're, we're having those moments with people, we're not alone, we're with him and with our, we're in it with our brothers and sisters in Christ in spirit, doing your work, being the hands and feet of Jesus. So I just, I just bless this house, I bless the leadership. I bless this panel of speakers. I just pray protection over each and every one of us and our families. I just pray for an awesome week in you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Have a great week, everyone.